Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. in all of the English language more closely twinned than courage and cowardice? I do not think there is a man alive who will not yearn to possess the former and dread to be accused of the latter. One is held to be the apogee of man's character, the other its nadir. And yet to me, the two sit side by side on the circle of life, removed from each other by the merest degree of arc. Geraldine Brooks, March. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia, and today I'm joined by Hunter McClendon of Shelf by Shelf to bring you our first backlist book club of 2020. We are talking about Geraldine Brooks' 2005 novel, March. Hi, Hunter. Hello. Welcome back. Thanks. I feel like I'm like I'm here all the time now. I, yes. really, I like that. <laughs> um, yes, I feel like... We've been together, and now it'll be two out of three of the times. Actually, every episode I think you've been on, we will have talked about Little Women in some form or fashion. Yeah, yeah that's right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> One of these days we'll be over it, but clearly that time is not now. This is like the new Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> it is. Forget Lindsay. We're only going to talk about <laughs> Joe March. <laughs> Don't get carried away. It's fine. Um, so we decided, actually it was your idea, back yeah. when we recorded our episode about Little Women and the new Greta Gerwig adaptation, you suggested that our first backlist book club, which we knew was going to be in March, could be March by <laughs> Geraldine Brooks, which I thought was super smart. It's a book that I had heard of, but had never even desired to read. And mm-hmm. I don't mean that in a negative way. I just had never even thought about it. I had yeah. seen it on the bookshelf shelves and never really... I don't know. I think I'm wary of books that are retellings. Well, because it can get very fan fiction-y very fast. Yes. Yeah. And you have been brave enough to try that, and I think it's worked out for you. Like, there's a book that you really love, and I'm trying to think of the name of it, The Wide Sargasso Sea. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. I haven't read Jane Eyre, but I've read that, (laughs) which I loved, but I don't know if my feelings would change if I read Jane Eyre. Yeah. Interesting. So, Approaching this, what were your expectations? Let's talk about that first. Well, we already know that, like, I was mixed when I first read Little Women. Um, but then, whenever I, when I started this, I don't know what I expected, but I was thinking, well, the whole point of Little Women is that, you know, the whole, the importance of it is these women right. and, like, the importance of them, like, be, like how important is the, their, their conversations and not what they're doing is just as important as what the dad's doing. Right. And this is just, elevating that and then I started getting bitter about it as I was reading it yeah but I was like I'm, I don't, and I was like it's a war novel I don't know if we're gonna like that I don't like books about men <laughs> and I was like this is just a bad idea so like my initial like going in like the first even the first chapter I was like I don't know not for me yeah Well, and I feel that because so much, you're absolutely right. So much of Little Women, and I think Amy's character says it at the end of the film, the 2019 film, is, you know, just as much can happen on in kitchens as on um, battlefields. Mm -hmm. And so to then read this book that's devoted to the masculine, you know, the father figure, um, 
the patriarchy. Like it, yeah. it did feel a little bit like, but wait, doesn't this defeat the purpose of the novel? Yeah. Um, but as somebody who did know, like I've read the Louise May Alcott biography. Mm-hmm. I am. I've been to the Orchard House. Like I am familiar with that. Um, period in history. Mm-hmm. I'm not like an expert or anything, but I became briefly, <laughs> we'll talk about it later. I became briefly obsessed with transcendentalism as a high school student. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I knew Bronson Alcott. Mm-hmm. And as I was reading, I felt like she was really bringing Bronson Alcott's sensibilities to uh, to the story of March and the March family. And I thought that made a lot of sense. Um, we talked off air about how Greta Gerwig brought a lot of the Alcott family into her film adaptation. And I think Geraldine Brooks does the same thing where she's mm-hmm. acknowledging Louisa May Alcott saw herself as Joe. And so what did Bronson Alcott, what role did he play? And I thought once, once you kind of understood that and you and I also, well, I won't speak for you, but I don't read a lot of historical fiction. Yeah, I don't. And I don't typically, I'm, I don't gravitate toward it. Yeah. And, um, particularly perhaps without even meaning to, I don't read a lot of civil war era uh, yeah. historical fiction. Again, that's just not something I'm going I'm to pick up off the shelf. So talk to me about how you felt reading a war novel, because that's really what this is. Mr. March goes off yeah. to fight in the Civil War. Well, I was surprised, I think, because I, in my head, like, once I, because also, I don't know why, did not realize, I did, like, even though I knew what it was about, I was like, I started seeing that it was, like, about a war, and I was like, why is this, why is this the focus? <laughs> right. I was, I, I don't know why, but for some odd reason, I thought something else was going to happen. <laughs> but then I was like, well, this is actually, this is really, like, cap- captivating and, like, really yeah. intriguing. And, like, and it, it I, I felt like the war stuff was written very well. Yes. And I think that part of that might, and I don't want to, like, say that, like, this is horrible. I don't want to say that men don't write war interestingly for me, mm-hmm. but I feel like there's just something that, um, I think that Hanya Yanagahara once talked about how men have a smaller emotional toolkit. Mm. And I think that having a woman write about this perspective mm-hmm. really gave a lot more nuance that we normally don't have. Well, that's a really interesting perspective. I loved, um, Mr. March's narration and it took me a minute because as I said, don't read a ton of historical fiction. Yeah. It is narrated from him. Mm-hmm. So he is using language of the time and in all kinds of ways that was sometimes distracting or mm-hmm. sometimes, um, you know, with my 2020 hat on, I was a little bit like, what's happening yeah. here? Yeah. And then I had to remember, well, we're in 1860. Yeah. And um, later there's an afterword where Geraldine Brooks really talks about the exorbitant amounts of research she did and how she pulled from Bronson Alcott's actual kind of memoirs and letters. And I really loved that. Um, so the language at first was almost a distraction to me. Mm-hmm. But once I got into it, um, I... Like you, I knew obviously that he was was away fighting in the Civil War, but I didn't know he was going to be narrating it. And I didn't know we were going to get such violence and such visceral. We really got to see what he saw. Mm -hmm. And I think I wonder if part of the reason Geraldine Brooks was doing that is so we could remember in Little Women that really heartbreaking, wonderful scene where he comes home and he's greeted by them all. Mm -hmm. And now we get to know what was going on in his head. Which yeah. is he's seen the battlefield. I will say whenever whenever Little Women is released and I can buy it <laughs> and I watch it again, I will probably cry even harder when he comes home because yes. this will be on my mind. Yes. And I think I also perhaps wrongly thought, again, with my 2020 hat on, <laughs> Mr. March is a chaplain. And so he probably doesn't see much bat- of the battlefield. Right. 
okay, I don't know, truly, I don't actually know what a chaplain might see or not see in 2020 or in Mm -hmm. Iraq or in Iran or Afghanistan. Um, But in 1860s, when probably you just were part of it all, you saw it all, um, there's a immediately in the first couple of chapters, you see him lose one of his comrades. and, And I think that really sets the tone for the kind of terror throughout the rest of the book. And then she does play with time a little bit because she kind of goes back and forth. We get to see him meet Marmy for the first time, mm-hmm. which I love that Marmy is her actual childhood nickname. Yeah. I loved that. Mm-hmm. Um, we get to see that he was like a peddler and a salesman mm-hmm. in his early 20s. Um, we also know, like, it was just fun. I almost thought about taking notes. Like, what are things about Mr. March I've learned? Well, he's a vegetarian. Like, Yeah. <laughs> Which, like, that was one thing that I would, like, I, because I didn't know, like, because I, I will say this, the afterward really does sell this. Like, yes. it, it, when you realize how much of this research that she's done, like, it shows within when you're reading it, but then when you're, you're seeing it, it makes, but anyway. Um, but when I realized that, I was like, why is he a vegetarian? And then, like, because... Because uh, she really kind of harps on it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, well, because Beth, at one point later in the story, she's asking, um, she's, she asked him, yes. can, like, can this girl get milk, um... Because she's weak. I can't remember the whole Reminded thing. me of the Joaquin Phoenix speech from the Oscars. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> it did. Yeah. Because Beth says, I know this calf has been taken from her mom. Yeah. But this is going to help this girl become stronger. Could mm-hmm. we please make an exception? Yeah. And I love the ethics of that. I love mm-hmm. that Beth thought about that. And Bronson Alcott really was this kind of liberal thinker yeah. of his day. And I mean liberal in like the traditional sense. Like he really valued women's education. Mm-hmm. Um, he... And he was kind of odd. Like, he was part of this transcendentalist movement that was really kind of unique and different and very, I think, very Americana. Mm -hmm. Um, So I love that he's a vegetarian. I thought that was like a fun tidbit. Also thought it was fascinating that in the book, um, Marmy and Mr. March, um, they are hosts on the Underground Railroad, which I thought was fascinating yeah. and kind of played an interesting part. Um, you get to see, I I did think they used the phrase little women a bit too much. I did Same. think you could almost have played a drinking game with, yeah. how, with, with how many times little women, the actual phrase was used yeah. in the book. I thought that was a little excessive, mm-hmm. but overall I really appreciated the tone and I liked the, I thought this war scenes really grounded the novel. Mm-hmm. I don't read a lot of war novels. It did remind me, I don't know if you read this book. It came out in 2017. It was called The Second Mrs. Hockaday. Mm-hmm. And I think it's by Susan Rivers. I don't know why I picked this book up. It's a Civil War novel. Um, she, It's written in letters. And it's based on a true historical event that this woman, I think, came across in her research. And it's about a woman whose husband goes off to fight in the Civil War. When he comes back a few years later, like two or three years later, she is being tried for the murder of their child. And it, it, it was so good. And I kept having, that's the only book I could think of yeah. that I really read that even takes place in this time period. Like mm-hmm. I can't, and you don't think of little women as a civil war era no. novel. Yeah. You really don't because so much takes place off the battlefield. You mm-hmm. don't really think about it. Um, okay. Can we talk about the transcendentalist movement and the, you talk <laughs> about um, Emerson and Thoreau showing up for the first time and you being like, what? <laughs> yeah. Like it's so, well, it, the thing is, cause um, apparently they were friends of the Alcott. Yes. And I did not know that at first. And so whenever they first, like, stumbled into the book, I was like, 
I get it. This is history, but are you really going to throw it all in the pot at the same time? And then I like Googled it because I was just so thrown. I'm not going to lie. I was really thrown off by it. And I think, and I, I, once I understood the context, I was like, I loved it. Yeah. But I think that like, it is one of those things where you. It took you out of the story probably for a minute. Yeah, just for a minute. Because they're real recognizable names. Like we've all heard, like in hearing Waldo Emerson refer to as Waldo, I was like, but I look in the 11th grade. My favorite English teacher, Mrs. Burgess, shout out to Mrs. Burgess. She changed my life. Um, She did a whole, you know, curriculum, a whole season around the transcendentalist movement. And we had to create our own transcendentalist societies. Hunter is looking at me with equal parts admiration and and, uh, skepticism. Um, But we had to create our own transcendentalist um, movements and communities. And so I created one and, um, our national anthem or my anthem for the transcendentalist movement I created was, I am a rock. I am an Island by Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, I was very proud of that. <laughs> and I really, when you're a kid or a nerdy high schooler, I think there are certain things that you just become obsessed about. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So like in 1996, I was obsessed with women's gymnastics because of course I was. Um, or the Dear America books. Like you just become obsessed with these, I don't know, things, these pockets oh, yeah. of history or these, I don't know, I collected rocks. Like I was a quirky kid who had her own obsessions. And in the 11th grade, I was truly obsessed with Emerson and Thoreau. And when I was... I don't know, when I was a college grad, I guess, I made a trip to Boston and got to see Walden Pond. And it was truly like a spiritual experience for me. I could not, it's beautiful. Like I could not believe that it was there. I also found um, Thoreau in this fictional book. I think she really did base it you learn why he was the way that he was, that he had lost a more charismatic brother. And so you really got these great glimpses of these historical figures, but just in passing. So whereas they showed up for you and they were a distraction, which totally makes sense. (laughs) They showed up to me and I was like, oh my gosh, they're here. (laughs) And like, like I said, like once I, it's so funny because I think that, I think this is a book that most people would have picked up initially because they were fans of Little Women and probably knew a lot of the, like, internal history of it and everything. And because of that, like I said, like, once once I knew why it was like that, I started to really be like, wow, like, she... This was such a lovingly crafted book. Mm -hmm. And I think that you can tell once you understand, like, all this research that she's done and where she based it off of. Like, I think that's what makes it special. Can we talk a little bit? I want to save Marmy for the end. So, mm-hmm. should we talk a little bit about the language of the book? And um, what is Mr. March's first name? How come I can't think of it? This whole does is it this, ever said? I don't think it says. It I does. just feel like we know him as March. Yeah, the whole time. Yeah, I think we just know him as Mr. March. Um, he very much has a what I think we would call in twenty twenty. He's kind of a white. He has a white savior complex. Yeah. Does that, yes. <laughs> is that fair? Um, I think. In his day, like if Mr. March was transported to 2020, mm-hmm. I think he'd be considered woke. Yeah. <laughs> He's trying so hard. Yeah. He's trying so hard. And I love that we're introduced to this um, woman slave character mm-hmm. known as Grace. And I think she could have been a caricature. And I Same, admit yeah. that I was a little nervous that she would be. Mm-hmm. And there is some language here that, again, by, with my 2020 sensibilities, and this book was written in 2005, yeah. which is a totally different time yeah. in terms of literature and and what people were writing about and talking mm-hmm. about. Um, but I think I was a little bit 
nervous with how the Civil War would be handled and Mm -hmm. how racial tensions and racial atrocities would be handled. But I thought she handled it really well. And this character of Grace became one of my favorite characters. Mm -hmm. Um, She does not feel like a token character. She feels extremely nuanced and thoughtful. We get a glimpse. Grace is somebody who, um, I say Alcott, who Mr. March meets in his early 20s before Mm -hmm. he meets Marmy. And he has this kind of respect for her and then this very fleeting kind of romantic interaction mm-hmm. that leads to grace um enduring a terrible beating um yeah. because she was obviously not supposed to be caught in a romantic interaction with mm-hmm. a white man and so anyway then mr march comes across they cross paths again years later mm-hmm. kind of during the throes of the civil war and I love Grace and Mr. March's relationship because she really does kind of put him in his place a little bit in a way that I think he needed to be. Mm -hmm. So we see Mr. March get injured. He's, um, he's in a war hospital and Grace is tending to him and he is such, what is the word? He is almost a little bit whiny until you kind of understand that he's probably suffering from PTSD. Yeah, but like he just, sometimes he does not make good decisions. Like he's a, he's a very... He's a very, like, well-crafted character. Yes. But he's a very frustrating character. Yes. He, there were times when I was like, do I like Mr. March? I'm really not sure. He's extremely idealistic. Mm -hmm. And I think that gets in the way. And Mm -hmm. there's a passage in the book, and I think we get hints of this in Little Women, right? Where he's the idealistic one, and and Marmy is left to kind of be the practical one. Yeah. And I think we really get that fleshed out in this book. Um, But... There's a scene where he's injured. He's in his, is he like 40 years old at this point? He's been injured. Marmy has come to like see if she can take him home. She's had to rush back to care for Beth. And he is left under Grace's care. She's at this point a war nurse. And he basically is like, I'm just, I'm not going to go home. I'm going to stay here because he feels all kinds of guilt. Um, I think he feels part white man guilt. Yeah. And I think part. I survived a battle, survivor guilt. I think it's part white man guilt and part survivor's guilt. And he looks at her and he's like, I'm going to stay. And and he's like almost on his deathbed. You know, he's he's suffering from (laughs) deathly wounds. And she looks at him and she's like, I don't need you. Mm -hmm. But I need you. In fact, I think the, the quote is really good. She says, Go home, Mr. March. Then her voice softened. If you sincerely want to help us, go back to Concord and work with your own people. Write sermons that will prepare your neighbors to accept a world where black and white may one day stand as equals. And then she eventually, she even says, and he kind of is whiny about it, but I don't know if I can. And she's like, just go home and be a dad. Then just go home and raise your daughters to be different. Just go do that and let me please do my work and do what I need to do. Mm -hmm. And I love that Grace had this voice. It felt very powerful. And I, I appreciated that because so much of the novel... I just wondered how this all would be handled because, yeah. again, he is such kind of this woke character. Well, I think that it's funny because I think that what she's saying is a very, is of a very 2020 mindset. Yeah. It's what it's kind of like where a lot of people, I mean, because like to be honest, like we, the like, especially from like 2016 to now, we've all kind of like discovered just kind of how ignorant we all have yes. been about a lot of things. Yes. I mean, it's that's just the reality of it. And, you know, and I think that um surprisingly, this book, like it you can tell it was written before, before like kind of woke culture, but yes. you also it feels like it 
Um, it addresses a lot of things. In a, in, it addresses things in a timely way that I wasn't yes. expecting. Well, and you know what, what I think it is, is that I think that in the past, like, 10 years, we've gotten to, we're, we're slowly getting to a point where now we, I think we, authors are, they're commenting on stuff as it happens within the narrative instead of letting the characters kind of, like, interact it in a way where it feels authentic and, and sometimes um, characters or the narrator is almost more of like a, like a, like a, what do they call it? Like a puppet for like the, uh huh. You, know you know what I'm saying? Yes. A voice. A, uh, it's like a voice box for like, yes. you, you know, it's just like. For current culture. Yes. And so, and this is like playing out a, a realistic scenario in an honest way. And it's, and I don't even feel like this was intended to be, um, I don't think this was intended to have like a. No, it's such a quiet moment in the book that I actually think that in probably 2005, you just read it and thought, oh, that's a really lovely point. Mm -hmm. But in 2020, it sticks out because it sounds so current. It sounds so he's trying to be this white ally, but he is he messes up and and he does it on a variety of levels. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think. It's especially fascinating to look at it through a historical lens, too, and through the Civil War. And one of the scenes, um, you know, he's gone down south um, on a couple of different of a, different occasions, and he sees ho- these horrible acts of racism and violence. But then I think he expects it to be different up yeah. where he is from, up in Massachusetts. And yeah. I think he thinks they're immune until he sees some things on the battlefield and uh, in his own community and realizes, oh, like he'll, or he'll go to a church. There's a scene where he goes to a church and he's listening to a sermon and people are being sold on the slave auction block mm-hmm. right outside. And I, there are just some really, I think, thoughtfully crafted moments in this book that in 2020 stick out. Yeah. Um, but in 2005, I wonder if they really even did. Well, that's, I mean, well, you think about it, you know, like, I think that, I because th- when, when did the help come out? It uh, came out after this. This yeah, yeah would have had to have been two thousand ten ish. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I mean, if you think about it, it's just it's interesting to think about the just because this to me feels a little bit more. Um, I don't want to say woke, but it just feels like a little bit more understanding of uh, it's, it's more nuanced. In a lot more of ways. nuanced. That's yes. a great way to put it. More nuanced. Which I like. I do. Despite the problematic nature of a lot of aspects of the help, I do still love it as a book. Like that's just, I'm like, I'll be honest. <laughs> we about talked that. about yeah. that off air. Like I loved that book when it came out, yeah. and now obviously I see it through a different lens. Yeah. Um, this book to me felt really well crafted, mm-hmm. and I think she had to deal with a lot of different things. You also, again, it was a war novel. Mm -hmm. We get letters. So it's to some extent an epistolary novel. Mm -hmm. She's also dealing, let's not forget, she's dealing with a beloved classic work of literature and the little women fangirls, myself included would have been devastated if she messed this up. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Marmy then, because Marmy is a beloved character and we get glimpses of her in two different ways in this book. We get Mr. March kind of talking about Marmy and how he first met her. Mm-hmm. And then in a twist, I was, and I, this is no spoilers, but it was just a nice surprise. We do get Marmy's narration mm-hmm. um, through just a couple of chapters, which mm-hmm. I thought was a kind of pleasant surprise to me. Yeah. Um, so how did you, what did you think about Marmy as portrayed in Geraldine Brooks' world? I have mixed feelings about it, which I feel like, I like it's so funny because like I loved so much of this book, but then there were times where I was, I think it's. And I think it speaks to, like, how well-crafted the book is, is that I had so much ambivalence about some of the characters. Uh-huh. But um, there's just some moments where, like, I, 
I think my problem is I was imagining Laura Dern the entire time. Oh, I was too. And That's s- what happens when you see a movie, yeah. man. <laughs> and so there were moments where I literally thought, this is not what Laura Dern would do. <laughs> and so I think in that way, but I, but I do, I, but I liked seeing more of her struggle though. Yes. I think, I do wonder if Geraldine Brooks got a lot of this um, from that line that is famous from the movie, but it was in the book originally. It's just the line that I've, it made me cry the moment I heard it, but it's um, Marmy Laura Dern saying, um, I've been angry every day of my life. Mm-hmm. And it almost felt like Geraldine Brooks pulled that out of Little Women and then crafted this kind of yeah. wild free spirit. I do think we also realize the similarities between Joe and Marmy. Those come out a lot in this particular book um, where we know they look alike. We know that they act alike. Yeah. And um, I think I struggled a little bit with Mr. March's desire to, tame marmy yeah um and i use that term because i think it's one he would have used um but she is very passionate about racial justice um as i said they become kind of figures on the underground railroad fictionally speaking um they she is very much an activist Mm -hmm. i think in her community but we see in the book there are limitations to what she can do because of her gender Mm -hmm. and Mr. March winds up kind of taking on that call. And then when she kind of stands up for something or gets frustrated, there's a point in the book where she's talking with Waldo Emerson and she kind of puts him, um, puts him to shame and kind of calls him to task, um, for not being as much of a proponent of, um, gosh, civil rights or anti-slavery, the Mm -hmm. abolitionist movement as he should have been. And Mr. March gets furious and like, he doesn't like when she has these outbursts of anger. Mm -hmm. And I think I would have been really, I would have been okay with it. Um, though maybe I wouldn't have loved it except then we finally get Marmy's perspective at the end and we realize that she, on the one hand, they're partners. Mm -hmm. And I firmly believe as part of my worldview that like in my marriage with my husband, we're called to make each other better. Mm -hmm. So iron sharpening iron. So if I have a terrible temper, I want my husband to help me fix it. Yeah. Now, do I want him treating me like Mr. March treated Marmy? Yeah. (laughs) Probably (laughs) not. Um, but I like that in the latter part of the book, we see Marmy, who acknowledges, yes, she loved Mr. March as a partner. She wanted him to help her, but she did not like his tactics. And she felt like he was silencing her. Mm -hmm. And it was nice to kind of get Marmy's voice because through part of the book, I couldn't tell if Marmy was being um, not mistreated. I don't mean that, but like maybe if Mr. March wasn't dealing with her fairly. Yeah. And I I liked that that we finally got to hear Marmy herself Mm -hmm. because, um, being introduced to Marmy through Mr. March would have been missing something, I think, yeah. if we well, didn't get I her And I think that's the thing is that, like, I feel like, you know, legit, like, realistically, like, when you see somebody through a character's perspective, you are seeing, you're not seeing them, you're seeing this character's perspective of them. Yes. And their idea of them, and that's what you get for the first part of the book. Um but I think, and I think that I really liked everything about Marmy, except for whenever she confronts Grace. I think, it, like, yes. that was the one thing where I was like, there, I was like, Laura Dern, would she do this? <laughs> so she, there's a scene in the book where Marmy, you know, Mr. March is very ill, 
and Marmy comes to his aid, as we learn about in Little Women. And then his nurse is Grace. And we, you know, Marmy finally realizes that Grace and Mr. March had a prior, not relationship, but encounter. Mm-hmm. And Marmy just confronts Grace head on. <laughs> I did think that was a glimpse at Marmy's impetuous, Joe like nature, yeah. mm-hmm. which I definitely saw um, and understood. It's just at that point in the novel, we also know that Marmy is older and wiser and so would that have been really how she handled it i don't know well i feel like i guess in my mind i just thought she and maybe i guess you know you are different with your with your spouse than you are with your children i'm assuming yes you would need to be (laughs) um but i i i just thought like i I just literally kept thinking i was like laura Dern was so great with her daughters like this is you know i don't think this is how she'd handle the situation i did wonder if maybe part of it could have been too that we see marmy at her most exhausted. She is exhausted. And her husband, you know, this is what's so fun is you get Mr. March at the beginning of the book talking about how much Marmy supported him and wanted him to go off to war Mm -hmm. and how she thought he was a hero and she cried when he left. And and she, then we get Marmy's perspective and she did cry when he left, but she also cried because she thought he was too old to go. Mm -hmm. She wished he had chosen to stay. She was left alone with these four girls. Again, we get kind of this battle between the idealistic and the practical. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wonder if we're just seeing Marmy at her most broken and her husband is about to die. She thinks he's about mm-hmm. to die. And then she realizes that while he's been off at war, has has his have his eyes wandered? I don't know. Yeah. Um, and so maybe that maybe she's just in a caught up in the heat of the moment kind of thing. But I agree with you that that felt not like the Marmy we know, yeah. I guess. Maybe not like the mature, thoughtful Which, Marmy. you know what, though, then again, I guess that's what this whole book, it's like yes. reevaluating and like, yes. you know, which was kind of hard for me in some ways. Yeah. Which, and, it's, and I say that as a person who was not like, you know, so deeply endeared to them throughout my life, only recently. So I think that's my final question. Could somebody enjoy March by Geraldine Brooks if they are not a Little Women fan or have never read Little Women? I think so. I think it's one of those, like, yeah, I think so. I actually thought, I think that's my answer too, because I kind of felt like it's been years since I read Little Women, um, but I thought this was a really compelling historical fiction. Yeah. Partly because of the Civil War and Civil War aspects of it, it just really did open my eyes to... um, to a lot of what was happening, there's a there's a several chapters I feel like devoted to um, Mr. March temporarily residing on this um, kind of destroyed plantation, but they're revamping it to um, and the former slaves are now employees, mm-hmm. and I think that really did happen in a couple of situations, and so I found that to be really interesting that we got this perspective of these people. Um, this population of people finally getting paid for their Mm -hmm. labor for the first time. I thought that was interesting. Um, So we get a lot of glimpses of 1860s history in a way that I do not normally get because Mm -hmm. I do not read the genre frequently. We also get the transcendentalist movement. We also get glimpses at early America. I just really, I think outside of Little Women, you could still really get get a lot from this book. Yeah, I think it's a great standalone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad I read it because I would not have read it were it Same. not for this. So, yeah. so thank you for the push.
From the Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in South Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at bookshelftville, and all the books we've talked about on today's episode can be purchased online through our store website at bookshelfthomasville.com. Special thanks to Dylan and his team at Studio D Production for sound and editing and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. This week, I'm reading The Office, an oral history by Andy Green, which is delightful. Hunter, what are you reading? I'm like in between. I'm listening to um, The Dutch House by Ann Patchett. With Tom. Yeah. (laughs) I've been going so slowly, but it is good. Okay. If you liked what you heard on today's episode, you can tell us by leaving a review on iTunes, or if you're so inclined, support us on Patreon, where you can hear our staff's weekly new release Tuesday conversations, read full book reviews in our monthly Shelf Life newsletter, follow along as Hunter and I conquer a classic, and receive free shipping on all your online orders. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. We are so grateful for you, and we look forward to meeting back here next week.